Section 10 of Going Abroad, Some Advice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Going Abroad, Some Advice by Robert Luce. Chapter 9. How to Stay. Part 3. Study in the Universities. The chances for study abroad are so numerous and varied that it would involve me in an Herculean task to try to consider them all. A few random notes, however, may perhaps be well added to the general observation that access to the universities is easy and cheap, often costless. For the English universities, the system at Oxford may be taken as typical. To matriculate there, that is, become a member of the university, it is necessary to be admitted into one of the colleges or halls, or into the body called non-collegiate students. A candidate may be admitted into a college as a scholar, or as an exhibitioner, or as a commoner. Scholarships and exhibitions are nearly all awarded according to the results of competitive examinations held by the respective colleges. Most of the scholarships are now open for the competition of youths under 19, and are chiefly of the value of $400 a year for practically four years. Some of the exhibitions are hardly distinguishable in any important respect from open scholarships. To be admitted into a college as a commoner, or to become a member of a hall, or a non-collegiate student, it is necessary to pass an examination held by the college or hall, or by the delegates of non-collegiate students, or to have passed some test accepted in lieu of this examination. When once a member of the university, a man must pass certain other university examinations before obtaining a degree. There are two sets of examinations, a difficult one for those who seek honours and an easy one for those who are content with an ordinary pass. The degree of Bachelor of Arts cannot be obtained in less than two years and eight months from matriculation, nor without residing in Oxford for 12 terms. Pass men may complete their academical course in three years. Full honours men take four years. For the higher degrees of civil law, medicine and divinity, no more residence is necessary, but further requirements have to be satisfied. For the Master of Arts degree, the only requirement is that the candidate shall have had his name on the books for 26 terms since his matriculation. The bulk of the instruction is given by college tutors and lecturers under a system that allows members of one college to attend lectures given in the others. Four halls are now established at Oxford for the higher education of women. The members are admitted to the college lectures. Neither Oxford nor Cambridge yet gives women degrees, but in other respects they enjoy practically the same educational advantages that the men enjoy. From A Summer in England, I glean these facts about the conditions of work there. Any woman wishing to reside at Oxford for purposes of study should write, in the first instance, to Mrs. Arthur Johnson. 8 Merton Street, Oxford, one of the secretaries of the Association for the Education of Women in Oxford, who will give full information. The fees, including board and tuition, may be roughly estimated at from $125 to $145 a term, and there are three terms, each of eight weeks, beginning about January the 20th, April the 20th, and October the 15th. Graduates of colleges included in the Association of College Alumni, USA, are admitted to the examinations without preliminary tests. Students wishing to reside for study at Cambridge should write to the principal of Girton College or the principal of Newnham College. 
Information about the London University can be obtained from the Registrar, London University, Burlington Gardens, London. At both Oxford and Cambridge, chance is offered in August for students to reside in university towns and avail themselves of the advantages furnished there by laboratories, lectures and libraries. Work is done in the chemical laboratories and there are numerous courses of lectures on history, literature and art. These privileges are primarily meant to supplement the course of local lectures carried on in connection with the university extension, and in order to share them, American women should write to Arthur Berry Esquire, Syndicate Building, Cambridge, or Secretary, University Extension, Oxford. At Cambridge, one guinea covers the expense of the course. Board and lodging may be had by some students at Newnham College for 25 shillings a week. At Oxford, the summer meeting of university extension students is limited to a thousand persons, preference being given to those who have previously attended extension courses. Tickets for the month, August, cost 30 shillings. For the first 10 days only, one pound. Visits are paid to the colleges and university buildings under the guidance of residents who give lectures on the history or architecture of the places visited. The Committee of the Edinburgh Summer Meeting offers vacation science courses through August. A ticket admitting to them all costs three guineas. Much of the work is in the open air. Old Edinburgh is studied. The Botanic Garden and Seashore are visited. Women wishing to go into residence there may address Housekeeper, University Hall, Ramsey Lodge, Edinburgh. Or for general information in regard to classes, etc., Ricardo Stevens, MB, University Hall. For Ramsey Garden, Edinburgh. The German universities most in favour with Americans have long been Heidelberg and Bonn. Apart from the instruction, they attract by reason of their locations and surroundings, particularly in the warmer months. Göttingen has always had a large number of faithful devotees, and both intellectually and from the point of view of its interesting situation, in a little Hanoverian peasant village, it undoubtedly has much to commend it. As winter resorts, Berlin, Leipzig and Munich are in favour. Berlin, since it has become the capital of the United German States, has drawn to it the greatest scholars in the German scientific world, and spends a large sum of money to maintain a famous corps of instructors. Its libraries are the most extensive in the country. The city is much pleasanter in summer than in winter, but it is hard to find any place in Germany that one can really recommend as a winter resort. Of the 15 other German universities, there are non-exceptionally worth consideration by the American, though often a famous instructor at some of the smaller institutions draws students from afar. Not many Americans would care to go north of Berlin, that is, to Kiel, Greifswald, Rostock or Königsberg. Some might stop at Breslau, Marburg or Erlangen. There are always a few Americans at Halle, Jena, Strasbourg and Freiburg. In Germany, the winter semester or term begins about the 1st of October and continues into March. The summer semester begins late in April and ends early in August. For the student to matriculate or register costs only $5, and after that, he is left to work out his own salvation. There is no compulsory attendance at lectures, no discipline, nothing like the American college recitation system. The tests come at the end of the course when the student seeks his degree. Then he must prove a thorough knowledge of some department of knowledge within the range of academic instruction, write a thesis that should be a contribution to science, 
pass a rigid oral examination and pay $75. The fulfilling of these conditions means to the average graduate of an American college two years of hard work. Meantime, his fees will not have amounted to more than $20 or $25 for each half year. In the German universities, women have not till recently been allowed to matriculate or take degrees, but of late years they have been permitted to attend the lectures. At Leipzig, the laws of Saxony prevent the recognition of women, and they attend as guests of the professor. At Heidelberg, they are required to present the diploma of some college or university. In France, the degrees are open to women as well as men. In Paris, many of the lectures at the Sorbonne and the College of France are open to the public, and often a majority of the audience is above the student age. Many English-speaking people frequent these lectures to cultivate the ear by listening to scholarly French. Formal application and registration will usually secure entrance to the closed courses. There are two terms, one beginning in the early winter and lasting into Lent, the other beginning soon after Easter and ending in the early summer. A recent reform has opened the French faculties of science to foreigners on very advantageous conditions. American students have hitherto frequented Germany almost exclusively because of the liberty the universities of that country offer in the choice of studies, in permitting a change of university, and in requiring no examinations excepting when the student applies for a degree. Hereafter in France, a student will be admitted on an American bachelor's degree and will be permitted to choose his studies. After pursuing any scientific course a year, he can, if he wishes, apply for an examination in this branch and, if successful, obtain a certificat d'études. Three such certificates, taken, say, in calculus, pure mechanics and astronomy, will make him a licencie, and upon the presentation of a satisfactory thesis, he can then secure the French doctorate, which is decidedly superior to the German. If the student has the ability, and so desires, he can discharge all three subjects the same year, or, if he prefers, he can do it in successive years, migrating, if he wishes, from one university to another, and studying at the same time whatever other subjects he may choose. The French system has one distinct advantage over that of Germany, because in Germany the student presents his thesis first, and, if this is accepted, he is admitted to examination. Everything hangs on one chance. He receives the doctorate, or nothing. In France, on the contrary, the examinations coming first, each step is marked, the student receiving independent credits for every part of his work. If he acquits himself in one branch only, he still has his certificat, and three branches give him the licence. If interrupted in his work before securing a degree, he can withdraw with honourable credentials for at least that part of the work he has accomplished. Students of medicine throng to Vienna more than to any other European city because it has the largest hospital, the most celebrated professors, and the best chances for instruction. Each professor can take only a limited number of students, and the time of the more famous is so much in demand that places in their classes must be engaged long ahead. The courses run from four to six weeks and cost from $10 to $15 each. The most ardent students carry on a dozen or more courses at a time. Without a knowledge of German at the start, it would be foolish for an American to go to Vienna unless he can stay there for at least a year, 
for it will take him half that time to acquire enough command of the language to profit by the courses. He would better go to New York, where today the instruction is just as valuable to all intents and purposes, save in the matter of the prestige given by the reputation of having worked in the foreign hospitals. To study a year in Vienna is likely to cost about the same as a year at Harvard, perhaps $700 being the average expenditure by the economical. Munich is cheaper and the instruction is excellent, though not so varied as in Vienna. At Munich, the American shows his diploma, matriculates on payment of a small fee, and then gets the clinics without charge. At Paris, the student can see, but not participate. Dublin is the favourite place for lying-in work. Zurich is the only place where women can take the courses. The medical student going abroad should take with him a few of the leading standard books in English. If he is a specialist, he should take with him the works on his specialty. Language study. The large cities are not the best places for either children or adults to acquire the languages. There are too many chances to lapse into English, and furthermore slang, argot, flourishes most in the rank city soil. In France, for instance, the purest French is found in Tours, not in Paris. The best Italian is heard in Siena, not in Rome. German is well learned at any of the university towns, but whether it is better to learn the accent of northern or of southern Germany is an open question. The people of Berlin and those of Munich accuse each other of talking provincial German. Likewise, in Spain, you will find the Spanish of Madrid differing much from that of Seville and Cadiz. There is more of the lisp in Madrid, and in Seville the speech is nearer that of the Spanish in Central and South America. In Italy, there is even more variation in dialect. A Neapolitan can with difficulty understand a Venetian speaking rapidly, and the Roman use of the tongue is like neither Neapolitan nor Venetian. For purposes of general language study, where unusual achievement in any one is not contemplated, perhaps Geneva is the best place on the continent. As the three languages, French, German and Italian, are spoken in the three regions of Switzerland, good teachers of any or all of them are readily found at Geneva. It is a puritanical sort of place, where a young person would have to work hard to get out of the paths of rectitude, and there is nothing frivolous about the city of John Calvin, but that makes it all the more attractive to the studious and the sedate. Its surroundings are charming, giving plenty of chance for delightful rambles and excursions. At Lausanne, halfway along the lake, Gibbon found the best place to finish his immortal work. Anyone desiring to master French in order to teach it will do best at Paris, where the Sorbonne gives during the winter and spring the best chance for scientific study of the language. In the summer, an admirable opportunity is furnished by the vacation courses of l'Alliance Française, the strong society for propagating the French language. The attendance has grown in five years from 50 to 500, and no better testimony of the work of the institution could be cited. The courses are planned for the benefit of foreigners of any nationality or age, and of either sex. They are given in the amphitheatre of the Colonial School, on the Avenue de l'Observatoire, in what might be called a collegiate neighbourhood, not the old Latin quarter, but close by, where pension and furnished apartments of moderate price abound. There are two series of courses, one occupying July and the other August, 
a course consists of from five to ten lessons in charge of some eminent french professor typical subjects in 1899 were historical and comparative grammar of modern french french literature of the 17th century the institutions of france elocution and pronunciation then there are conferences devoted to the practice of conversation or phonetic exercises at the end of each month examinations may be taken for diplomas an elementary diploma for candidates who prove that they understand read and write the language fluently a superior diploma for those who prove themselves capable of teaching the language and its literature all told about 150 lessons and 24 conferences are open in the course of the two months to holders of season tickets the price of which is twenty dollars anyone not caring to attend them all may buy not less than 25 tickets one for each lesson at 20 cents apiece and then as many more single tickets as this price as may be desired candidates for the elementary diploma must attend 30 lessons for the superior diploma all the courses of one of the two series and candidates pay two dollars for taking the examinations members of the alliance take pains to make agreeable the sojourn of the students receptions excursions and other entertainments serve both for diversion and acquaintance more than fifteen hundred places at the theatre are put at the service of the students in the course of a summer information about the arrangements of each year can be secured by addressing l'alliance francaise forty five rue de grenelle paris after april first an illustrated guide to paris for the foreign student will be mailed from the same address for thirty five cents it contains information about all the public and private courses to which foreigners are admitted and special attention is given to the summer courses also it has a list of families that will take foreign students as boarders the dilettante student who prefers to imbibe the language will make the quickest progress by turning his back on parisian opportunities for hearing and speaking his own tongue let him seek some provincial town of normandy or touraine preferably the latter good teachers will charge from fifty cents to one dollar an hour but if one settles in a pension where there are no americans or gets into a private family he will in time acquire a working knowledge of the language without special instruction for english-speaking people with some preliminary knowledge of french the teachers guild arranges modern language holiday courses that are given in august to meet the needs of vacationists in 1900 courses will again be held in lisieux normandy lasting four weeks and in tours lasting three weeks the fee of ten dollars twenty cents admits to the lectures in french by able professors and to a conversation class the guild makes special arrangements with pension and it is estimated that starting from london the whole cost of the lisieux course tuition fee fares living and all will be about fifty dollars of the tour course sixty dollars send twelve cents to the secretary of the guild at seventy four gower street w c london for a prospectus of the arrangements one need not be a teacher in order to join but at least a slight knowledge of french is essential to getting any profit from the courses music art and other studies to achieve the greatest triumphs in music it is agreed that some european study is necessary but how much it should be where it should be taken and how early it should begin are disputed questions one american who has been through it says 
i would advise american girls who expect to study music professionally to do all the foundation work at home as good teachers may be had there for two dollars fifty a lesson as those in london who charge twice as much when they have been thoroughly drilled in the rudiments then they can come to london to be finished but all the rest can be done quite as well in chicago or new york christine nielsen thinks differently in the matter of cultivating the voice says she at present in view of the scarcity of good professors of singing in america the earlier a young american pupil comes abroad to begin her studies the better the placing of the voice is a most necessary and delicate point in the early stages of the cultivation of that organ and requires a teacher of great tact and intelligence to perfect it many young american girls come abroad with their voices injured by injudicious training and even when the evil can be repaired it is only at the cost of the expenditure of time and money both of which can ill be spared as regards the different schools for singing it is an obvious fact that the italian method is by far the best it is true that my own teacher Platel, was a frenchman but his method was one peculiar to himself and i know of no professor who now continues it he died several years ago the german method is probably the worst of all especially for the delicate voices of american girls madame melba thinks that for the average singer america offers most excellent teachers she can find all she needs at home for operatic singers some foreign training is practically necessary so long as impresarios consider europe their market and retired artists make it their home but she says no girl unless she has money to throw away i mean by this a large fortune to spend should go abroad for vocal instruction until she has been passed upon musically by at least two or three artists people who value the glory and fame of their art and the life and perhaps the honor of the would-be singer too highly to advise her to enter upon a career of privation and hardship where there is for her by nature's fixed degree no possibility of success if possible these artists should be strangers to the singer people who will not be moved or swayed by any personal interest and will therefore speak only the truth but only those so passed upon and those others who can afford to indulge a hobby should ever go abroad for instruction said campanini for the mechanical training of the voice it does not matter what country furnishes the curriculum but for proper phrasing and beauty of style i would recommend italy in france i admit there are very good schools but i do not approve of the tremolo that is taught in them in italy they have almost perfect methods for properly placing the voice the schools of italy are also noted for teaching dramatic expression the study of music in paris is very far from inexpensive the most eminent teacher of vocal music demands seventy dollars a month and will take no one who will not begin with her from the very rudiments of the art the rule is from three dollars to five dollars a lesson or from fifty dollars to seventy dollars a month for the best teachers pupils being expected to take three lessons a week in london the music teachers of the first rank charge from five dollars to ten dollars a lesson and teach only certain things separate instruction being required when french german or italian is to be learned germany gets most of the students of instrumental music and berlin has taken the lead in their instruction it is said that more than two thousand americans pass each winter there in music study 
the city has 120 music conservatories and nearly a thousand concerts of one kind or another are given between october the first and may the first the masters of the profession charge from five dollars to ten dollars an hour for private lessons but the conservatories are very much lower in price the royal high school for music offers yearly several free scholarships for which students of all nations may compete admission to concerts is cheap according to american notions some of the best orchestral music can be heard at popular concerts twice a week for 10 cents without great hardship the economical student can reduce living expenses to 25 dollars or even 20 dollars a month the expense of studying art on the continent is nowhere so great as it is in new york as one student in paris says a fellow can live his he pleases i wear only the oldest clothes all the fellows do no one thinks anything of it the rent of the studios is very cheap and the tuition in the best studios is but four dollars a month american children would better be educated in american schools perhaps for the sake of the language a boy might well pass a year in some continental school but a girl would better study in america till she is well grounded in the rudiments of knowledge if she is then to study abroad for a while let it be in one of the pension schools boarding schools of switzerland rather than of paris a year there should give her a mastery of french but if german is the object two years of schooling in germany will be none too little for purposes of miscellaneous study perhaps dresden offers the most attractions at any rate nearly three thousand english-speaking people may be found in residence there most of them more or less studious in their intentions berlin and hanover offer better advantages in german and literature berlin weimar and leipzig have more famous schools for music paris florence and rome take the lead in painting and art but one does not find in any one of these cities all the facilities for the study of german literature music painting and decorative art combined as in dresden this concentration of advantages in an age when the rapid attainment of knowledge means so much must account for dresden's attracting so many visitors for its climate during the winter season at any rate is very far from delightful fees no other foreign custom perplexes and annoys the american so much as that of feeing he has been brought up in the belief that a service without a price demands no recompense save where the fee system has wormed its way into our larger cities as in their larger hotels he has been accustomed to pay the proprietor of any one establishment for all the work done for him by its employees the spirit of independence and self-reliance ingrained in his very nature has made it natural for him to do for himself all he can to accept from others the minimum of aid in all personal matters in his favorite phrase to paddle his own canoe from the moment he lands in europe he finds a state of affairs directly contrary to all his experience porters aggrieved if he carries his bag across the railway platform cabmen astounded if he walks to his hotel other porters lying in wait to lug upstairs even an umbrella somebody solicitous to unlock his trunk he starts out to see the town before he can get through the door the portier bustles up to offer his help to suggest the sights to name good shops to call a cab outside half a dozen cabmen snap their whips and beg his patronage from one to a dozen guides may urge their aid 
he comes to a celebrated church some pitiful pauper opens the door or lifts the curtain within a sexton or sacristan presents himself to show its sights to unlock the gates of a chapel to take him into the crypt he reaches a museum running the gauntlet of guides he gets in only to find an attendant in every room sometimes taking a card list of pictures from a table and offering it to him sometimes unlocking a door kept locked merely to force strangers to ask that it may be opened sometimes volunteering needless information and so it goes from one end of europe to the other always somebody at hand to thrust services upon you and every mother's son of them expecting recompense if the tariff is fixed more is invariably wanted the extra amount being the perquisite of the person with whom you come in contact it is no use to fuss over it to say hard things about it to begrudge the cost take it as a matter of course look at it reasonably and judiciously study it and conform to it lay down two rules of action and adhere to them number one accept no service that you are not willing to remunerate number two fee only those who do something for you if you want to carry your own luggage carry it if you want to walk why walk what folly to ride simply because half a dozen dirty scoundrels at least they look as if they might be scoundrels and are most assuredly dirty act as if they expect you to ride if you can see in a church or museum by yourself all that you care to see why give somebody a franc and be bored with his company rather than tell him you don't want a guide guides are sometimes useful sometimes necessary but as to when and where believe your guidebook rather than the man who wants you to hire him cabs are often wise economy hotel people have their uses even luggage porters may be of great service use them when you want them always with the certainty that everybody below your station in life expects to be paid for what he does for you the gentle art of doing favors as practiced in america is unknown abroad i overdraw the thing purposely that the reader may get into the right frame of mind there are many europeans of humble rank who are hospitable or courteous without mercenary motives but even they are almost invariably willing to have their courtesy or hospitality rewarded if you choose once a new england brakeman a complete stranger found an umbrella of mine and returned it to me with some trouble he would not listen to the idea of taking any reward his features showed that he was of yankee birth and his attitude in this matter was that of the genuine american he had done for me something he had not been hired to do had not been asked to do and the satisfaction of having performed a courteous action was all the reward he wanted that attitude is the rule with us it is the exception and the rare exception abroad so be prepared to pay for everything and when you get a gratuitous favor tell the man his rightful place is in america at the same time encourage the pernicious european system by rewarding him for not expecting a reward a hundred to one he'll take it to urge that fees be given only to those who do a service is advice that seems needless yet would that it were heeded by the americans who go through europe with the notion that every man or woman into whose hands they can get a coin is a deserving victim of misfortune perhaps it is a duty for us to distribute our savings at random among the lower classes of europe but i can't see why 
unless we ought to make it up to them for the cruelty of providence in planting them there. Generosity is an admirable trait, but every officer of associated charities will tell you that its excess does more hurt than its absence. The people with whom a traveller comes in contact are not paupers. Most of them earn as much as they deserve. In some of the Parisian cafes, a waiter's place commands a big bonus. That is, men are glad to pay large sums to get the chance for fees. Did you know that in some of our big American hotels, the head porter gets every fee given to underporters, that he pays them wages and pays the landlord for the privilege of doing the work? Your extra dime helps enrich a man you never saw. Likewise, in many European hotels, all fees given to waiters are pooled, and the man you want to reward particularly gets perhaps only a very small percentage of your bounty. For this reason, never fee both the head waiter and your table waiter. But you must always fee one or the other. The portier is the only exception to the rule not to give if nothing is done. It is an unwritten law that he shall be maintained by the public, not by the landlord. He is a useful institution, of service to the travelling public as a class, and as one of that class you are morally bound to help pay his cost. If the chambermaid does for you anything outside her routine work, she should get a fee, always small. Otherwise, she may be ignored when she lies in wait for you as you descend the hotel stairs for the last time, though, as a matter of fact, you are likely to feel that she needs the fee more than anybody else, and perhaps deserves it more, so that your conscience will rest the easier if you remember her. The declaration of too many tourists that you must fee everybody in a European hotel is all nonsense. The indispensables are the portier, if the hotel has one, the waiter, and whoever handles trunks or blacks boots. The others are mere charities. I am informed that in Saxony and in Austria, courts have sustained servants in suits to secure fees. The Saxony case was brought against a commercial traveller who stayed four weeks at a hotel and offered the boots a dollar on his departure. The aggrieved boots got a verdict of $2.50. Probably the commercial traveller's trunks had something to do with the case. In Vienna, it is reported, a servant may hold the guest's baggage if the fee is not large enough. As to amounts, the easy and common rule is to give 10% of the bill if you stay but one night or take a single meal. This applies whether the bill is 20 cents or $2 or $20. A penny in the shilling is all that English waiters expect. 10 centimes, or 2 cents, in the franc, all that French waiters expect. Where a hotel bill is above $2, a percentage as low as 5% may be given without surprise. On paying a bill of $5 at a hotel, it would be the usual thing to give the waiter 20 cents, the portier 20 cents, and the chambermaid 5 cents. On paying $8, you might give no more and no comment would be even looked. Or you might make it 30 cents for the waiter, the same for the portier, and 5 or 10 cents for the chambermaid. The Paris New York Herald sent a series of questions about the tipping system to all the leading hotel keepers of Europe. Most of them, in reply, advised from 20 to 40 cents a week for each servant, which, as hotel rates run, makes about the 10% I have advised, if, say, five servants get remembered. Nearly all the correspondents stated that their servants did not depend entirely on the tips received for their living as they received salaries. It was to be noted, however, 
that the salaries were seldom stated to be more than eight dollars a month summed up the symposium seemed to prove that the tipping system is too firmly fixed to be abolished that it procures better service for the traveller that it makes the servants more contented and renders them more valuable to the employer and that the person who tips carefully gets just as good service as the one who tips indiscriminately one piece of information given is that hotel keepers while traveling are very sparing of their tips never pay any fees before the time of departure except when making a stay of many weeks in a pension you are not expected in hotels to dole out the pennies or francs from meal to meal or indeed at any time before you go away but if practicable it is well in large hotels to distribute the fees before it is known that you are going to leave as otherwise you may find yourself encumbered with needless attention from servants who may hitherto have neglected you perhaps may not even have shown themselves look at it purely as a matter of business if you haven't the change make the waiter or the porter or whoever you want to fee get your money changed and then give him what you meant to give no more in an american hotel that would be thought stingy abroad it is thought the natural thing in pension ten percent of the bills would be an unusual distribution if you stay several weeks five percent will be a great plenty and two or three percent is probably nearer the common thing the idea that even servants in private houses must be feed is the most repugnant of all to american instincts yet go to a mansion of rank for even a stay overnight and you are expected to remember the butler and the footman americans overdo the thing as always in the matter of fees and anger the more penurious of their british cousins by treating dollars as if they were shillings the notion is wrong that fees are to be given on the occasion of a single meal in a british household they are expected only from those who pass a night or more do not suppose that the system flourishes without protests the duke of fife with whom the prince of wales stays during his annual visits to scotland has tried hard to prevent the giving of tips at newmar lodge by posting a formal warning against it in the guest chambers and it is known that the prince shares the duke's views of the matter in many castles and chateaux a box is placed in the hall where guests may put whatever it is their pleasure to give the servants and at intervals its contents are fairly distributed among them all tourists who are shown through eton hall the magnificent country place of the duke of westminster are forbidden to give fees to the attendants and in lieu thereof pay an entrance fee devoted to charitable objects at a few other show places there is an attempt to accomplish the same end occasionally there is a hotel where notices in the rooms beg travellers not to give fees and it is declared that the servants are amply paid employees of english railroads are forbidden to receive fees but there at least the prohibition is ludicrously ineffective tuppence four cents is in practice the legal tender fee on british railroads the garçon waiter at a cafe gets fees of one or two cents usually the latter for serving beverages cab drivers are usually made happy by ten per cent with either four or five cents as the minimum according as the unit of coinage corresponds to our twenty or twenty-five cents in such a place as naples where the prescribed fare is abnormally low only fourteen cents to give a lira twenty cents is frequent in museums and galleries fees of half a franc or half a lira or half a shilling or whatever the unit may be predominate it is always safe to start on that if more is the custom 
don't fear that you will not be told of it. Two people travelling together need give no more than the solitary tourist. The fees expected by concierges or janitors are a constant source of complaint by Americans dwelling abroad. The concierge is an autocrat, a tyrant, an unmitigated irritant. But the despot must be feed. In Vienna, for example, the front door of every apartment house is required by law to be closed and locked at 10 o'clock every night. Not a tenant may have a latchkey, but after that hour must ring up the janitor, who gets for his trouble the inevitable ten kreutzers. As a consequence, the streets are alive with hurrying people up to the fatal hour, and after that are as dead as a country village. It is usual for even the theatres to time themselves so that the spectators may be saved their ten kreutzers. New Year's Day is the time when the concierge reaps his or her big harvest. In Paris, the occupant of a modest apartment is expected then to give at least five dollars, and en train of ten dollars or twenty dollars are not uncommon. Every small salaried underling also levies tribute in the most barefaced way, making the rounds of his neighborhood and frankly asking for his present. It is averred that the postal employees in France could not live on the miserable salaries they get were it not for the annual bonus from the public. The ordinary carrier gets $20 a month and expects to add to this at least $50 at New Year's. There are postmen of different grades, depending on the class of mail they carry. Each class appoints representatives to collect money from every district, and the money is then divided. A stranger generally makes the mistake of giving a good sum to the first postman who calls, not knowing that two others will follow him to collect for their class. They begin their rounds about the 1st of December, with calendars worth about half a cent to present to each person on the list. They are very polite. If it is not convenient to pay the money that day, they will trust you for the calendar and pass again. All the servants must be remembered with hard cash. Not with mittens or shawls or neckties, if you please, but with cash. In Parisian families, the French maids cling to the old fiction of a month's wages, or what used to be a good month's wages, $5 a month, as a proper New Year's gift. This has, by general custom, become reduced to a gold piece, $4, for a servant that has remained more than a year in the family, and $2 for those who have been in service for a shorter time. This sum is given in the most perfunctory way, and conventional thanks are returned in the same manner. The German and English servants who have of late years flocked to Paris do not expect so much in the way of a present, for they demand higher wages than the French-born maid usually receives. The cabman expects a fee bigger than usual. The bus conductor expects two cents more than the ordinary fare. The butcher boy and every other tradesman's employee who comes into the house counts on going out the richer. The cafe waiters offer very cheap and very bad cigar to every regular patron, expecting in return a franc or two. And so it goes until the close-fisted man wishes the new year in perdition, and even the generous man with an ample purse finds it emptied, at least of all the silver. End of section 10. Recording by Kate M.